Hello, ladies and gentlemen, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Gridiron Graduates. I'm your man, Bill Rossetti, guiding you as always. Hope you had a good week and welcome back. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, Ian Wharton. Ian, what's going on, buddy? Uh, not too much, man. Nice, nice. And uh, it's more than two of us this week. We've got a guest joining us in the classroom, so to speak. Uh, this guy, of course, is the creator of the one and only Reception Perception. You've seen him on Football Guys. And starting the season, you will see him at a special place that I'll let him talk about in a little bit. He's the one, the only, Matt Harmon. Matt, what's going on, buddy? Welcome to the show. Thanks, fellas. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, excited to talk to you guys tonight. Um, you know, uh, we've, we've all followed each other for a long time now, so it's, it'll be good to chop it up here and... and Share some thoughts back and forth on the airwaves with your listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Glad to be here. And uh, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners and viewers about that special place that you are going to join this special, fall. Special place. It sounds like it's some mystical forest. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. Well, I guess in some ways maybe it is. But, yeah, I, I just have taken a, a, a real big boy job at NFL.com as a full-time fantasy writer. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. You know, it's kind of the, the culmination of, uh, you know, the, a lot of work over the last year and a half, um, which really isn't that long in terms of, you know, journalistic careers or whatever. So I'm, I'm pretty fortunate and I feel really, really lucky and, and, and excited to get started out there. So it means a big move out to Los Angeles. So maybe that is sort of the uh, special place we're talking about, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be exciting and, and, I'm really, really, really grateful, and there's a lot, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people to that that have got me here, and, and you know, you guys have you guys have been around since the beginning, so you know, uh, it'll be cool to talk to you guys tonight. Absolutely, well, we're glad to have you here, and we definitely congratulate you on your move, and certainly wish you the best of luck. So we're gonna get started here. I said we're gonna talk about wide receivers and corners because, of course, the two guys here, Matt has reception perception with wide receivers. Ian has coverage productivity, talking about cornerbacks. But I think we should talk at least a little bit about the big news this week in football, and that, of course, the Tom Brady appeals meeting took place Tuesday night, wrapped up after about 10 hours. Probably not going to get a decision for quite some time. Uh, Ian, I'll start with you. What were your thoughts as we went through the appeals meeting and what we can expect in the future? I uh, I just couldn't believe that it lasted so long. I mean, is is this really that big of a deal that, you know, we need to spend an entire day in court? I mean, it's, you know, obviously the on-field effect, it could be, it, it could actually have a somewhat decent effect on what happens this season him being suspended a, a few games obviously it depends on how Jimmy Garoppolo plays. I mean, he didn't look very good last year when he got some playing time late in the season. And, you know, there's a couple teams trying to creep up on the Patriots in that division. I think the Dolphins, the Bills, the Jets, I mean, those are three pretty solid football teams. Obviously the quarterback position for the Bills and the Jets still very much in the air, um, especially the Bills. I mean, we've seen two rumors already in the last month saying that they could cut a quarterback, a different quarterback, EJ Manuel and Matt Castle. We've seen both of those rumors out there. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like until the Patriots don't win the division, it's hard to imagining them not winning the division. Um, but I think that the other teams are closing the gap a little bit, especially with the Patriots losing so much defensive talent in their secondary this year. Um, it's going to be impossible to compensate for losing a guy like Darrell Revis, um, you just kind of brace yourselves and hold on. So, I, you know, it's it's hard to be too negative about it because, on the other hand, it's maybe just the first two or four games uh, that Brady could be missing. Maybe none at all. Who knows how this is going to work out? Uh, I just thought it was interesting, really, how long it took to, to for them to go over everything. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I just want to mention you talked about the Bills. I just was always taken aback every time I see reports that are saying Tyrod Taylor is in the mix to start for the Bills. That's when you know you have a problem at quarterback, when Tyrod Taylor could possibly be in the mix to start. But, yeah, and the interesting thing about this is if it's a decision that Brady doesn't like, does he risk 
taking this to federal court and push, possibly pushing the suspension further into the season, possibly into the playoffs. That, I think, is going to be really interesting to watch. Matt, what's your take on this? Yeah, I thought it was funny, too, how long it took. I mean, what did what they say? They, they spent, like, 10 hours in the in the courtroom? Mike, like, what, what were they talking about? I just imagine, you know, they all get around and... They're probably and playing tiddlywinks or something there. I don't know. Probably, like, <laughs> you know, sh- shooting dice or, you know, playing poker or something. I know at one point they, you know, said that they... There was like, well, they ordered a pizza or something. I don't know. There was a lot of jokes flying around. And it's always it's always funny, you know, when when something like that is taken so seriously. Um, it, I yeah, I can't imagine what the what kind of deliberation or court process to, to, would have taken ten hours to talk about that. But that's you know, like Ian was saying, the on field perspective. I'm with him that I'm really interested to see you know how the Jets. Especially the Jets, you know, doing fantasy stuff. You know, you look at uh, Chan Gailey, some of the offenses that he's been able to kind of cook up with, you know, substandard personnel. You definitely want to look at how, and they've they seem pretty confident in Geno as as their starter. They've already come out and say that said that he's going to be the guy. So that's interesting to me to see how they play. Uh, they've got two really good wide receivers on the outside there, and an interesting guy in Devin Smith that I liked a lot in the draft. So that could be a pretty good offense with a de- with a defense that looks really nasty, especially, you know, the two cornerbacks that they added this offseason as well as some of the guys on the front line. And then Buffalo, of course, has that great defense, and they traded for LaShawn McCoy. They have some offensive talent. But, yeah, you, you mentioned it. I mean, Tyrod Taylor's in the mix to start. They might cut, like, Matt Castle and E.J. Manuel. You know, who knows? But I, I'm definitely on – I definitely want to see Tyrod start just for the laughs, you know. Uh, <laughs> and being a guy – being a Virginia guy, you know, he went to school at Virginia Tech. That would be kind of fun to see him get right. a shot at legit playing time. And, I mean, why not? You know what Castle is. And it's pretty funny that Manuel's already been written off, you know, 14 starts or something into his NFL career. You, you don't see that happen too often where young quarterbacks get chance after chance. But, yeah, I, and I like the Dolphins too. You know, I wrote a column a little while ago uh, looking at their receivers, and they've definitely got an interesting <laughs> offense too with some uh, with some good pieces on defense. So there are some solid teams behind the Patriots. But kind of like Ian said, I'll believe that the Patriots don't win that division when I see it. Um, I wasn't a big Garoppolo fan coming out, but – I mean, he could get he could probably get them through four games if if the aforementioned Matt Castle could get them to an eleven and five season a few years ago. Uh, I could see uh, Garoppolo, you know, just tossing it to Gronk fifteen times a game and that being good enough. So we'll see what happens. Exactly. And uh, well, we mentioned this on the previous show, but I'm just going to run through the first four games for the Patriots. Obviously, the opener against the Steelers the Thursday night. At Buffalo week two, and then they host the Jaguars week three, and then at Dallas week five. They have a week uh, week four bye. So definitely, even if Brady's out those first four games, I don't see this team going any worse than two and two. And again, like we mentioned on the previous show, they started two and two last season after the embarrassment of Kansas City, and the rest is history. We all we all know what we said, and we all know what happened after that. Everyone had egg on their face. Uh, so, now that we got that out of the way, let's move on to the brunt of what we're going to talk about today. As I mentioned before, both these guys have great projects they're working on, focusing on different positions. And first, I just want to talk about your projects in general and just how you got started and things like that. And Matt, I'm going to start with you. What led you to starting Reception Perception and how have you grown and you know, just kind of give us the backstory on it. Well, from a career perspective, I kind of decided when I first, well, one of, one of the pieces of advice I would always get from writers whenever I'd ask, you know, hey, how do I get your job or whatever? Um, you know, they would always respond with, well, you have to do something to stand out. You have to have something that people associate with you. When they think Matt Harmon, they think, this they think this you know series or this approach to things so that's really why i wanted to come up with something you know like reception perception that was really close in line with myself and and people would associate with me um and hopefully that would lead to a lot of attention and it did so that was successful in that in that way and and as far as what made me want to do kind of a analytical slash you know quantify the tape sort of project was i've always been a a really research based in depth sort of person. You know, I, my intention, I know, I know Ian's done a lot of, uh, um, post 
bachelor work um, academic-wise, and that was kind of a path that I wanted to originally go down. Um, I wanted to go back to school and get a PhD. I was always really in, an intense you know, researcher, really combed through a lot of data type of person. So that was something that appealed to me was, was to take a look at one position and really try to create you know, a statistical approach to things that wasn't really out there, you know, maybe try to quantify like, you know, uh, how often defend, how often receivers are getting open. And that's kind of, that's pretty much what I do at this point with reception perception. And I, I just, I wanted to do receivers because I think it's a fun position. I think it's also right now you look at how many talented wide receivers there are in the NFL. Um, you know, there are some veteran guys that are still holding it down. Like the, you know, Andre Johnson's of the world are still playing pretty well. Um, you know, and then this influx of new talent, whether it be, you know, Des Bryant, Demarius Thomas from a couple of years ago. And now you're looking at Odell Beckham, you know, completely breaking the mold along with some other really good players from that class. It's an exciting time for wide receivers. So I thought this would be a good time to kind of introduce this methodology to really study these guys in depth. So a lot of factors went into the decision to why to, why to make it, uh, why to put it out there, um, both for myself and for just the knowledge of the game, I guess. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a really fun project and I'm kind of sort of finishing my work for this year on it where I'll, where I'll put out a project about, um, these second, these now second year wide receivers from the historic 2014 class. So it's going to be fun to kind of release some of that data in a couple months and let people kind of know where the project stands. Nice. Nice. And, We'll go to the other side now. Ian, you, of course, have covered productivity, focusing on uh, cornerbacks. So I'll ask the same question to you. Give us kind of the backstory on your side. Yeah, so I've always kind of been like a project-based person. Like I like a lot of little projects and just kind of ways to kind of challenge myself, to kind of do something new, to kind of keep myself busy um, in my free time. It's just It's just one of those personality things. It's really funny that – you know, when I was working at the University of Houston doing my uh, master's degree, person that just like, I need to get stuff done. Like, I literally can't go to bed at night without feeling like I did something. Like, I've got to feel like I accomplished something. And it was really funny because like, I never understood that. Like, like be- before that test, like I knew it about myself. It was like a subconscious thing where I was like, I knew that I just, I kind of like to work whether it's like enjoyable work or whatever it may be, I enjoy it. And this kind of project really kind of embodies that for me because it's, it's very tedious. It takes a long freaking time to do. I Amen. Mean, <laughs> and I know, I know Matt understands that 1000%. It is until you chart something, you don't, I, I really feel like you don't know how tedious it is until you chart something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. So like just doing, um, I added up all the numbers just from like the AFC cornerbacks that I did. I've charted over 3000 individual routes and that's not just snaps. That's just, just, just routes that qualify for what I'm looking at. So it's like, you know, I enjoy it though. Like I really do. And for me, cornerbacks have always been kind of something special. It's always been kind of something I've just really enjoyed, whether it be like Madden growing up, I really liked cornerbacks for some reason. I just, I was enamored with like the speed, the, just the instincts, the, the ability to like make a playmaking play like that as a defender. It just, I don't know, for some reason it just always resonated with me and just playing, you know, football through high school and such. I didn't play cornerback, but I always just enjoyed that, that side of the coaching. And so for me, it was kind of natural. And I see, I, I always saw kind of a lot of cornerback analysis out there and there's really no way to anal- analyze or analyze, I should say, um, cornerbacks. People look at interceptions, they look at tackles and passes defense. And that's basically it. And QB rating against them. And I just don't feel like those are accurate ways to look at a cornerback and say if they're good or not. You know, you look at the Des Bryant play at the end of 2014 where he apparently didn't catch that ball. And if you look at it from the other side of the view, if they would have ruled that a catch, do you say that that's a bad defensive play? And reality is, is that's just an incredible offensive play. And I don't think that the defender should be really penalized for that. And that just happens by every single game. And it happens maybe three or four times a game. And so when I was, you know, just kind of looking for something to do, looking for something to work on and, and bring light to, I found cornerbacks as, as a natural place, not only for myself, interest-wise, um, but also kind of there was a hole in the market. You know, there's there's no one really looking at cornerbacks. 
So I, I really just thought, you know, that would be a great thing. And then just kind of expanding it, you know, also seeing a little bit what, uh, what Matt does, you know, charting the individual routes. That was something that I added later, um, you know, kind of breaking it down more, taking what someone else did and said, you know, I could better my process by doing that and being willing to adapt it to, to really just be more descriptive with it. So, you know, I, I think it's really fun and it's, I think it's going to be really cool that we're both doing these things that kind of not necessarily compete against each other, um, but really can complement each other on a week by week basis. Exactly. And the nice thing too, that with both your guys projects is that these are two positions that it's, it's pretty tough to really get a hold of if you're just sitting watching on TV because obviously the broadcast angle you really can't see the wide receiver the cornerback the only time you see those positions is if it's on a replay and they're really only focusing on where the ball went you don't get to see the entire play so you guys are really bringing light to you know what how the receivers running the routes or how the corners defending the routes or things like that so I just want to say, God bless you guys for all the time you put in, because, like I said, I, I know it's definitely a grind, so I think I speak for a lot of people when I say thank you and God bless you. <laughs> well, like Ian said, it's fun. You know, I enjoy the process of it, too. Exactly, yeah. and that's definitely the bottom line of it. You know, as, as long as it's fun for you guys and the readers and everybody enjoy it, that, that's really what it's all about. So... Now that we've uh, discussed how you've made your pro projects, let's talk about some of the players that could fall into your project. We kind of want to match up some players and see how you guys think about these guys and how they could match up. And one player in particular that I think people uh, wanted to see us talk about was Joe Hayden of the Cleveland Browns. So I'll have Ian talk about what he thinks about Joe Hayden and then we're going to match him up with I actually decided to put him up against two AFC North guys. We talked about putting him against Antonio Brown, you know, same division. And then I also got a I had someone ask last week to uh match Joe Hayden against AJ Green. So we're kind of going to talk about those three guys if you don't mind. So Ian, we'll start with you, kind of talk about what you see in Joe Hayden, what you like, don't like about him, and then Matt, talk about, uh, we'll start with Antonio Brown, and we could also maybe, because I'm sure you guys have watched these two against each other, so you guys, we can get your thoughts on these two against each other, as well as, as individuals. Yeah, so I think, you know, starting with Joe Hayden, I think the first thing that you know, just kind of give a background on him. Obviously, he was a big-time player of University of Florida, um, was a big recruit coming in, ended up having a really good college career there, um, ran the slow 40 times, still went in the top 10 to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and I think that that kind of set the stage for expectations and uh, kind of where the general public feels uh, comfortable with on their stance on him. I, you know, he's kind of a guy, if you ask the Joe Schmo about him, they're probably going to put him as a top five cornerback. Uh, and, and, and a big reason why is going to be his ability to make turnovers. Uh, so he had three interceptions last year, 10 passes defense, uh, which that's kind of, that's a pretty good number, the 10 passes defense. Um, but kind of breaking down Hayden, he's very sloppy mechanically. He's a guy that he likes to gamble and he's going to basically, he's going to, he's going to think he sees something. And act on it as quickly as possible, which is, which isn't anything uncommon. I mean, you see guys like Asante Samuel. He's the same type of cornerback. He's a high risk, high reward type player, and that has led to Hayden giving up some really bad touchdowns at some very critical junctures of the season uh, for the Browns. He gave up four touchdowns last season, 781 yards. Um, the, the the one standout stat that he has is he's got 53% completion percentage against which that's a pretty good number um, comparatively across the league, but he doesn't really cover routes extremely well. Um, just looking at my numbers that I've got, he struggles breaking inside, which isn't a shocker because you look at his 40 time and it kind of reflects that as well. He's vulnerable on deep routes and he's vulnerable on sharp turns where he's got to turn and accelerate. He doesn't really do that extremely well. Um, he's just a very inconsistent player. 
And he helps make up for it by creating those turnovers and creating the big plays. Uh, and, th- you know, some people prefer that. And I don't have anything negative against people that prefer more high-variance players. It's just when you look at the cornerback position, those few plays a game that you gamble and you lose can ultimately lose you the game. And on the other flip side of the coin, you know, when you only have a handful of interceptions a year, it's tough to it's tough to justify taking a more high variance player over a more solid, you know, competitive player every single play. You know, when you compare him to a guy like, um, you know, for example, Xavier Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes doesn't get interceptions. It's his one big flaw in his resume. However, he covers guys extremely well. He's always right there at the catch point. He is very, very physical throughout the routes. Um, you know, I'd rather have a player like that, that that's going to compete on every single play and it's going to come up with some more uh, difficult plays at the catch point as opposed to a guy like Hayden who's going to get lost a little bit in routes, even against very average receivers. Um, he's been burned by a couple of you know, very mediocre receivers through his time. And then, of course, he against some of the elites, he does okay. Most specifically, A.J. Green. For some reason, A.J. Green is a guy that just he is locked on and always wants to play. Um, but even against like Antonio Brown, as, as you know, Matt's going to talk about here shortly, he just really struggles against guys like that. So, and, and in fairness, a lot of guys do. That's that's a guy that really destroys a lot of cornerbacks. So, I, you know, you can't be too harsh on that. But Hayden's a guy I think that where his draft spot was and his reputation coming out is something that really has helped him. And then obviously the fat contract that Drew Rosenhaus got him. Uh, you know, that's another indicator for, for people that don't really watch the game as intently, you know, snap by snap, that, you know, it's an indicator that he's really good when in reality it doesn't necessarily reflect his overall effectiveness every single play. You're really paying for the hope that he gets better every single play, but also the variance, and you're hopefully hopefully raising that floor and then keeping that ceiling still as high, which is very difficult to to ever expect out of a cornerback. It's just there's probably three or four cornerbacks playing at that level every single week, and I, I definitely wouldn't put Hayden in it, at that spot right now. All right. Matt? Sure. So um, starting with Antonio Brown, um, and I thought that a lot of what Ian said really was representative of Hayden's game. You know, I, I don't obviously chart the cornerbacks, Everybody, everybody always says, you know, well, I, you know, how can you account for matchups and stuff like that with your receiver, um, with your receiver data? And that is something that I would love to take into account, you know, down the line or whatever. Um, but, you know, that's not something that I do right now. But, I, you know, you get a good feel. And I'm sure Ian feels the same way about the receivers. You get a good feel for a player's game um, just by charting who, guys going against them. And, you know, I thought when, when Ian said that. Hayden struggles when he's asked to make those sharp cuts and things like that. Well, that pretty much screams Antonio Brown to me. I mean, especially a guy who really has maximized everything that he's given athletically. And I know he wasn't a good tester when when he came out in the draft. And that makes a lot of sense because he wasn't a, a highly touted player. He's a six-round pick. Um, you know, he, he had to pretty much work to get to this level. And it makes – it makes you wonder about the guys that are smaller, you know, what, how do you, how do they win? And they win with, you know, quick twitch ability and, and really good fluidity. And that's what Brown has developed into. And obviously I think he maybe isn't one of those guys who doesn't test as well at the combine or at his pro day. But then when he gets on the field, when he gets the pads on, he's able to really out, he's definitely more of an athlete than he is, as a tester. And that makes sense. I mean, there's, there are a lot of guys that are like that. And for, for Brown, he really is technically sound as well. He does everything really well as a route runner. And that's why I, he has the second highest uh, score against man coverage that I have. And by far the best score against zone, because he's also a really intelligent player. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He knows how to find the soft spots in a defense and as it, as it pertains to matching up with a guy like Hayden, you see a lot of even some of the really the, the best corners in the league get kind of taken for a ride by these smaller, quick twitch, technically sound receivers. I mean, I know that when Richard Sherman went against Odell Beckham, he had a little 
he had some problems because he's that bigger press man corner, but he's not as, you know, and even Hayden wasn't a, didn't run a great 40 time at the combine or anything like that. I know, I think there were some athletic questions with him. You know, you see those guys get taken for a ride a little bit by the smaller guys uh, like Brown, you know, the ones who are really disciplined in and out of their breaks um, and can set defenders up with, with some intelligence. And Brown is definitely the consummate guy when it comes to that in the NFL. I mean, there are some bigger guys who are, you know, freak athletes like Des Bryant. But, you know, for my money, if you need a guy to create separation, I think Brown is one of the best in the game, if not the best in the game. I know as far as reception perception goes, he he came out as one of the best. And what you look at that is really impressive is that you, you talk about how that Brown is a quote unquote small receiver, but he does play big. I mean, he has a really good contested catch conversion rate for me. You know, he's able to use position. The smaller guys are really able to use positioning and body control to kind of maximize their frame. And, you know, I know Odell Beckham, I talk about him. He's a, he's a freak leaper. Brown isn't that sort of guy, but he's, Again, he's studied how to set these defenders up to be in the right position when the ball arrives. And, you know, he's a, he can go up and get the football, but I think it's a lot more of just technique and discipline and doing the same thing on a consistent basis uh, that helps him win in that regard. So when he goes up against a guy like Hayden, you, you, see, him, you see him being able to use that technical discipline, but also that fluidity and quickness in and out of breaks. And I think that gives guys like like Mr. Hayden, some trouble. So, uh, I mean, Brown is good against everybody, like Ian said, but you definitely see him succeed against those types of corners just because he has a complete and well-rounded game. And A.J. Green is funny because especially prior to this year, while Green is a great player and he's one of, you know, the best receivers in the game, I I think – uh, he's not as great as a route of a route runner as some of the other top guys, you know, on the, on the po- receiver power rankings or whatever. I think, especially again, prior to this year, he, you know, he's, he's really fast. He can, for his size, he can use the sideline. Well, he's really consistent with his body positioning, but sometimes, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying he's a lazy player, but he doesn't run routes consistently to the same speed or at the same position every time on the football field. And yeah, I know Mike Wallace is an interesting example of a guy that struggled with that in Miami. But Green is obviously, you know, is much better than Wallace. He's also has a bigger frame, so he can get away with it a little more than Mike Wallace can. Um, and can still make plays even with a much even with in Green's case a much more limited quarterback. So why I think that doesn't but he doesn't have that necessarily that consistent quick twitch uh, that Brown does. So a guy like Hayden is able to stick with him a little bit better. So it's, it's funny. You see some, there's definitely a lot of, some people really do prefer bigger wide receivers and it's obvious why big wide receivers give you an advantage because, you know, it increases the strike zone. It, um, it helps you, you can make more vertical plays with bigger guys, but it, it is funny because the smaller players like Brown, when they can really and they need to do a lot more work to get to that level, but they can really create ample separation for quarterbacks to throw into, even against good cornerbacks, because because they can because they can use their their not limitations, but they can they can maximize the technique and everything to get to a point where they're creating a lot of separation and some of the quarterbacks in the league today are really the sort of see it throw it type of guys. So players like Brown really give you that opportunity to have a lot of space as opposed to throwing into tight windows, which a lot of quarterbacks just don't want to do this these days. So it's interesting that, you know, we talk about these two specific players because they represent kind of a larger point in the league today. Mm-hmm. And Ian, I want to go back to you. Uh, after Matt was just talking about AJ Green, I want you to talk about what you saw in Joe Hayden if you got a chance to watch him against A.J. Green. And I also then want you to talk about another corner that you were interested in talking about, and that was Vontae Davis. Of course, the Colts and Bengals met twice in the playoffs, or twice last season, including in the playoffs. So Davis got to see A.J. Green a little bit. So talk about Hayden against A.J. Green and then Vontae Davis against A.J. Green. Yeah, I'm really glad that, you know, that we kind of brought up AJ Green a little bit because 
Matt, I don't know about you, but I was, you know, when I was watching him last year specifically, I kept coming back to the thought that he feels a little overrated. And I know he had some injuries last year, and I know that there were issues with a new offense. Andy Dalton was really struggling with consistency, and you could just really see the frustration of A.J. Green just boil at the end of the season. Like, he, he, I mean, you could visibly see him just be upset almost after every single passing play. You know, I just thought it was interesting that you brought that up on Green because I feel like, he, you know, a few weeks ago someone had tweeted, you know, what's your top five receivers? And a lot of us answered. And, I mean, for me, Green wasn't even a guy that I would I would put in the top five. Like, And a lot of that, again, may have been injury-related. You know, I've seen him prior to last year, but obviously last year is going to stick the most in my mind. It's just very interesting that, that that was kind of brought up. So I'm glad that you brought that up because it's kind of it's one of those things where like, do I feel like I'm really seeing that, or am I actually did I actually see that? So that is good yeah, to hear. No doubt, and I don't want to interrupt you, but that that is some there. It's Green's a tough player because he is definitely limited by the quarterback. Um, but I do try in my process. I do try to isolate. You know what's going on with the quarterback and what's going on with the receiver as far as what they're doing before the ball is thrown and everything. Uh, what, what are they winning in the routes? I think Green is a really good player, and I do think he could put up some astronomical um, numbers in a, in a different system. But some of, like I said, some of these big guys do get lazy with the technique. Julio Jones is another player that I, I struggle with this same sort of thing, even though both these guys are really talented players. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm and I'm I'm glad that you brought up Jones too, because I, I agree with him. Um, going back to Hayden and you know looking at his matchup with with AJ Green, you know I do I do agree. I think it's a skill set thing, um, and just mentally he's always talked a big game about playing AJ Green. Like he before games, you'll see with like reporters, he'll just light up when it comes to AJ Green. Like he just he knows that that's his biggest competition, and. For, you know, I think he needs to maybe shift that now to Antonio Brown, the way the Browns really torched the Browns uh, the last couple of years. But you know, I, I think it's very interesting just from like a mindset perspective. He always just seems on point every single play against Green, and and, and that may be like Matt said, more of a skill set matchup. So I would agree with that. Interestingly enough, kind of in my rankings, I've got Joe Hayden as the 18th best. Um, cornerback just in the AFC, just from like the numbers, the raw numbers, not looking at anything else, just raw numbers wise, he's 18th. And then I did want to bring up Ante Davis because I've got him one spot ahead at 17th. Um, looking at how often he's getting beat, that's also including um, interception numbers. He's more of like a mid-tier player to me instead of like an elite player. And it was really interesting because he had a good season last year. It was his best season of his career. Um, he's finally starting to turn things around. He's no longer showing up drunk to practice. Um, and, you know, late to meetings and such, which was a big problem in Miami. And so he goes to Indianapolis for a second-round pick. It's really funny because the Dolphins were, like, shocked that they could get that type of value for him, especially with his reputation, um, and off of Hard Knocks, too, which Hard Knocks was not really a good look for him, the way he just kind of – he's almost like a child. He was a child back then. He was very, very immature. So he goes to Indianapolis, starts to turn things around, um, obviously there it's been a little bit easier for him to adjust to the NFL lifestyle, which is great. And he had some elite type numbers. I mean, pro football focus had charted him. I think he allowed like 44% of completions thrown his way, um, which is a fantastic number. Um, but ultimately, you know, I broke down his film and I was actually really disappointed because this was a play. He's a player that's got all the physical tools. He's fluid. He's fast. He's, he's, he's somewhat instinctual. Um, he's better at the catch point than anything else where he will make an aggressive play towards the ball at the right time. Um, but usually that's overcoming what he did wrong earlier in the route. And he relies on that so much that he's letting guys get open far too early and far too often. Now what helped him is that literally his teammate, Greg Toller is the second worst cornerback I've charted so far. He is giving guys, so much space just throughout the entire route and it literally almost every route that I charted he's letting guys get open almost 50% of the time by you know what I look for as far as guys getting open so he's just he's just like a revolving door I mean if if, if it's a good quarterback he's targeting Greg Toller first read every single time and I think that Davis kind of benefited from that so much that 
he didn't he wasn't targeted so that as often obviously because Toller was getting so many targets and the, the few times he was getting targets he was playing well enough to kind of earn that high distinction I've seen people talk about him as the number one or number two cornerback in the AFC and, and I just think that's kind of crazy the AFC is loaded with great cornerbacks you've got Jimmy Smith Darrell Rivas Chris Harris to me those are by far the three best and even the three best I'd say even possibly in the NFL um you know to put Davis in that type of company I think is is just a little premature he's not technically close to even sniffing that type of level there's just way too much going on with his lower body throughout any type of comeback route any type of sharp cut route and it's not a physical thing where it's like Hayden Hayden you can tell is just physically limited Davis is just not quite aware yet of when that's about to happen, when the cut is about to happen, where it's about to go. There's even times where you'll see him cheating inside and the receiver just darts to the sideline instead, to the outside route. And there's just there's too many examples of that for me to put him in that elite company, although the tools are there. And then kind of to compare and contrast him to a former teammate, Sean Smith, for the Kansas City Chiefs, he's kind of gone the other direction. So he's a height-weight speed guy, brought it, was brought into the league. He... Um, Athletic freak, as far as all of his measurements, he's kind of gone the opposite. He's went from relying on those physical tools to now he's an excellent cover corner. He is constantly at the catch point. Even when he's not right there with the receiver, he's got that 6-3 frame to come back on and that 4-4 speed, and that's constant. And so he is constantly in the face of a receiver challenging the catch process. Um, so it's just kind of interesting to see where those two have gone. Obviously, both Dolphins, uh, former Dolphins, and uh, early round picks. Davis was a first rounder. Sean Smith was a second rounder. I just want to apologize earlier for that little uh, unintentional soundbite that played earlier as I was trying to check the bank, the Browns schedule just to see when Hayden and AJ Green will match up again this season. They uh, will have a Thursday night game in week five, November, November 5th. So that'll certainly be interesting to watch i just want to ask uh a quick question to the two of you as well if somebody let's let's say you know some of the listeners or whatever want to start watching some of these players or like you know start charting receivers and corners or whatever and you had to give them one player at your position that you think you know this is who you should watch because he does X, Y, Z well, this is what you need to look for, what not. Uh, what player would you tell them, and why would you, why should they watch this player? You know, why would they, you know, what, what do they do that can help them in their film studies as they watch other players? And Matt, I'll start with you. Well, other than stay off my turf. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I would say, one of the players that challenged me the most this offseason watching, and I've talked about him on Twitter recently, especially when we, when Ian, like Ian mentioned, there was a conversation recently about your top five receivers or whatever. One player that really challenged me this year was, was Demarius Thomas. Um, and I would encourage anybody that was going to start, you know, scouting receivers or charting receivers to, to take a look at Thomas's tape, because obviously he's a really highly regarded player that puts up some huge numbers in Denver's offense, you know, playing with Peyton Manning. Um, but I would say that you come away a little unimpressed, sort of how uh, we were talking about Julio Jones and A.J. Green. I think Thomas is even a more extreme version of the two of those guys who – Thomas is really, I mean, we know he's a freak. He com he blew out the combine like a lot of these Georgia Tech receivers do. So that's not surprising. But he also, despite putting up these great numbers, has really never developed into a technician, into a complete player. Um, he... He runs, I mean, he runs pretty much four routes really well. He runs the slant, the screen, the, the post, and the go route incredibly well. He scores well on those routes. He comes up with a lot of iChart fantasy production for each route. He, that's where, I mean, the, if you're looking at a pie chart, that's where, like, almost all of his production comes on those screen slants and, and go routes. So he's a guy that you would say is a limited player. He's a role player, but he is just 
so good at that role. He's so good at what he does. So it kind of gives you that picture into what I really think people overlook with wide receivers is, you know, obviously I would not call Thomas a technician. I would not call him a complete player. Um, but he's he's an awesome player. He's a really good he's a really good asset to his NFL team. I mean, that cannot be questioned because you look at what he gets done in that offense, you look at some of the just dominant games he can put up. So I think it kind of gives you a picture into what is really a larger theme with receivers is that they they don't necessarily need to check all the boxes, but if they have what I like to call a trump card in a certain aspect, then they can get by on the field. They can be an asset and even they can be a number one receiver like Thomas is. Um, obviously, I think his numbers are definitely helped by having a, a, a Hall of Famer at quarterback in, a, in an up-tempo, aggressive offense with a good play with good play callers. I think that's certainly helped him. No doubt about that. But at the same time, Thomas, he's really good at, at the at the few things that he is really good at. I mean, like astronomically good at them. Um, like he's, he's definitely the best yards after catch receiver I've charted. He's incredibly good with the ball in his hands. Um, and it makes sense because he's got great gifts. So I would encourage anybody to look at a player like Thomas, who's going to challenge you, you know, who's going to kind of illuminate that idea that this guy might not be good at everything, but he's really good at these one things. And while you might not think he is a top five receiver. I, I came away thinking he's probably not in the same class as like a Des Bryant or a Jordy Nelson or an Antonio Brown. Like I would take those guys over Demarius Thomas, but you still come away really impressed with a, a, a limited faction of the game. And while you, th- you would say, Oh, well, if a defensive coordinator can hone in on that and stop that, the limited sort of stuff that he can do, then he's going to be, he's going to be blotted out of the game plan. But I mean, come on, obviously we do not see that come to fruition on Sundays. Right. And Ian, before I, before I get to you, I'm sorry, I just have one quick question for Matt again. Um, we talked that obviously, you know, some of the listeners may not have heard of this, but if you ever heard of the route tree, if you, if you want to explain, you know, I guess, let me say that. For the listeners who aren't aware or have never heard of the route tree, if you want to go ahead and explain to those people what the route tree is. Yeah, so, I mean, you can find, if you want to look at a route tree, you can find plenty of diagrams on on my Twitter account under the hashtag reception perception, or there's something that I always include in my articles, is like, you know, because I break down how many times they run each router, you know, what percentage of of their total routes are, are slant or posts or whatever. But yeah, each route is there's, there are nine routes on the tree. And then I've also added a few others because there are some like off script routes, but uh, such as a screen or um, fades and everything like that. So yeah, there, there, but basically the route tree is um, there. It's broken down into, into nine parts and it's the, the slant, the uh, there's the, the um, dig route, the out route, the flat, um, the go route, which is just a nine route straight down the field, a post, a corner, um, and and I'm, now I'm blanking a little bit. Oh, the post and the and the corner. I don't know if I mentioned that, but anyways, yeah. So it's just basically what the receiver is going to do on that play is he's going to run one of those designated routes. And obviously, sometimes, when, especially with a quarterback that gets off script, like a Russell Wilson, you see his guys sometimes break off those routes, but. Now, you know, most of the time there are the there are designated patterns that a receiver is going to run, and the route tree really just diagrams that well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's kind of like you look at it like spokes on a wheel, like a like a like a wheel has different spokes coming out. The route tree has you know different kind of lines coming away from the straight pattern where they where they start. So it's a, it's just a really simple breakdown of of what a receiver's assignment is going to be. Right, and. Basically, it's where, you know, like you said, there's nine routes, you know, zero through nine, and the higher number the route is, the further the route yes. goes, and I believe it's odd numbers is to the outside, toward the sideline, even numbers is inside, and when we talk about the route tree, zero is considered an even route, because I think zero is that quick slant, isn't it? Uh, it's a quick slant or quick in or one of those short routes 
But in, in any event, it's a quick inside route. It's an even number. It goes to the inside. Odds is to the outside. But that's basically the route tree. So, all right, Ian. Like I said, I'm, I'm sorry I had to cut, you know, make you hold your thought there. But go ahead with uh, your answer. Yeah, so I think the one guy um, I would want people to start with is probably Darrell Revis. And because for me, I would start with Revis because to me, he's the pinnacle. He is the most elite cornerback in the NFL, and I think he has been for the last five or so years. I think that Revis really, and, and it, part of it is also my preference. So I like physical cornerbacks. I like guys that are going to be willing to punch you in the face, hit you in the chest, drive you out of bounds on a press, guys that will stick with you the entire route, pull on you a little bit, nag on your jersey. I like that because ultimately it's gamesmanship. And if the ref's not going to call it, then it's fair game. You know, these guys are at a huge disadvantage every single week. Most of these guys are lesser athletes than the players that they are lining up against every week. Um, you know, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah that had tweeted it earlier this week or, or maybe last week. He had mentioned just the vast difference in quality of edge rushers to offensive linemen and then also wide receivers to cornerbacks. And he's absolutely right. I mean, there are so many good receivers right now, and there are just so many teams lacking good cornerbacks. And there's a reason why. I mean, it's just it comes down to money. It comes down to what's easier to play. And for me, Revis is just kind of the guy that embodies the perfect cornerback. He's fast. He's fluid. He's incredibly intelligent. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen him run a route better than the receiver and get to the point, get to the catch point before the re receiver is even close to getting there. I mean, the, the, the study, the film that the guy does, the film study he does, it shows every single week. And he matches it with excellent technique, great physicality, um, and his focus, too. I mean, you got to give guy you know, credit for his focus to be able to be on every single play. I think that he he's a guy that you can just, when you watch him, you can compare every single player in the league to him. And 99.9% .9 of the time, you're going to say that player wasn't as good as Rebus. Um, Jimmy Smith, I think last year played better. I had Jimmy Smith as a better player last year. Now that being said, he also had a lot less snaps. He only played in like five or six games. Um, so I would still stick with Rebus. I think that, Revis is a guy that everybody can like, even though he's physical. He's not overly physical. A guy like Jimmy Smith is a little overly physical still at times. Um, but Revis is definitely the starting spot because you, I think it helps to see where the best wins and how they win. And then from there, you can take that and you can watch college prospects kind of with an eye. Now, again, it, it changes in style. Every, I mean, Matt can, Matt, I'm sure can, can talk about this. He already did actually with receivers, AJ Green style as opposed to Antonio Brown style. It's the exact same thing with cornerbacks. You're going to find guys that are better suited to uh, man coverage like Revis. You're going to find guys better suited towards zone. Uh, and, and even in there, you're, you're going to find different types of cornerbacks. You're going to find more quick twitch guys like Brent Grimes. And then you're going to find more physically overpowering types like Stephon Gilmore. You know, Gilmore is more of a, a tools type than he is necessarily a quick reaction type. So I think Revis shows all of that. He's got the complete package. And then if you want to start to try like breaking that down a little bit, you know, we could just go on there for days. But I mean, Chris Harris is another guy that I'd want people to look at too, because he can go inside, he can go outside. He's quick. He's got great speed. He's incredibly intelligent. Again, that's another, it's, it's a slightly different style because he plays in the slot. The slot requires a different, you know, skill set than the outside. And I mean, there's really no doubting that, but I think those two are the guys that stylistically you can get a complete picture of what a slot, a slot cornerback should be and what an outside cornerback and man coverage can be. Nice. Um, and from what you're talking, I'm, I was going to throw a little wrench and say, if you had to choose someone other than Darrell Rivas, but it sounds like you were, <laughs> you're probably going to go with Jimmy Smith if I were to ask that. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably go with Smith from last year. Um, like I said, it's a limited sample size, but he was so good in that limited sample size. I mean, I had him getting beat 16% of the time. Um, really the only route that he he had any type of struggle with. Um, 
was, I guess, the dig route, but he only had five that I charted against him. So, I mean, you know, you take that with a grain of salt. Uh, if he can stay healthy for an entire year, I'd love to see what his numbers end up turning out to be like next year. Right. And, again, that's just another example of how the Ravens continue to scoop up value at the end of the first round like it, they seem to do every year. But uh, So, good choice there. Uh, one more thing I want to ask, and this is toward Matt. I want to ask you about one of the young guns that you feel is poised to have a breakout year. And as a Penn State grad, I'm – pretty happy to see you writing about this guy and uh you could probably guess who i'm leaning towards that's my boy alan robinson go ahead and talk about robinson what you liked about him and what you're expecting out of him this season yeah man robinson was one of the one of the fun ones to chart because you see right now i mean he's all the rage i mean there's there's a lot of hype coming out about him you know, from OTAs and, and especially in the fantasy world, he's a guy people are getting excited about, um, you know, with all this hype going on. But yeah, I, I, so it's funny now because I can sit here and say like, well, about two months ago, I charted his reception perception sample and was, and wrote an article on Backyard Banter, which is just my blog, you know, that Alan Robinson is poised for a, you know, a massive breakout. And it's funny now that like it's it's like it's almost commonplace. Um, of, <laughs> of course, you know, obviously he he way before reception perception he was and and people always whenever I you know shamelessly plug you know like well before the, all this minicamp pipe reception perception showed that Alan Robinson was going to break out. People will always come back and you know say well hey also before that his college tape and his workout metrics showed that you know so anyways it's it's not like I I'm gonna claimed that I was first on Allen Robinson when, when I definitely was not. But anyways, the, the cool part about Robinson was, you know, obviously he, he only played a, a couple games um, or not a couple, but, you know, a few games to start this year. Um, I think he was about 10 before he injured his foot. Um, and you, you think about Robinson, he is a big guy, you know, he's six two, over 210 pounds. Um, so he's a big receiver. Uh, and, you know, you see pictures all over the internet of him, you know, leaping to these astronomical heights. Um, that's something that's made, you know, I know there's a, one at Penn state. Now there's one going around from mini camps of him just making these incredible leaps. And he does have, I think like a 40 inch vertical or something like that. I mean, he's he can jump. He can jump out of the. You know, he can jump out of the out of the out of the building. No doubt about that. But when you look at his reception perception numbers, he's really, really he scores really, really well on these on the short routes. I mean, the flat 87% success rate slant routes and the 80% curls digs. Um, all of these routes, you know, that are more short to intermediate patterns. He's he's executing those really well. So he's kind of one of those big receivers that wins in the small areas of the field, which is rare. Um, he's not necessarily making as a rookie. He wasn't necessarily making these big downfield plays. So what that indicates to me is that he's going to be a guy who just gets pumped with targets this year for the Jaguars. And I mean, you could watch you just watching his tape. You can tell that Blake Bortles trusted him among all above all of the other, you know, haggard rookie receivers that he was working with last year. Um, and obviously Julius Thomas is going to cut into that volume a little bit because he's going to, especially in the red zone, but I expect Robinson to get around. I know Rotoviz. Uh, a great fantasy website also projected him for about 130 targets. I can totally see that happening just because, you know, I know the Jags want to run the ball. They want to be a ball control physical offense, but they're, they're still going to fall behind in a lot of games and they're going to have to chuck the rock. And I think that as long as Robinson stays healthy, he can definitely approach those big time target numbers. And with how successful he is on short routes with that great potential to be a contested catch player, you know, with, with his vertical leap ability, you know, you could see him just soak up volume in that offense. You could, you're going to see him catch a lot of passes. Um, so I, I really do expect some big numbers from Robinson. Obviously when you're talking fantasy and you know, that's going to be my job now. So I have to think of it in that way. <laughs> how, how many, how, how often is he going to score? That's kind of a question because of the, just because of the offense that he plays in, but right. he's a really, I was surprised with, cause he's like, what still 22 years old. Yeah, he's like young. he's very, very young. He's a, he's a puppy in terms of, 
you know, his age mm -hmm. and, but he's a really technically sound and disciplined player for for a young guy. So I'm really excited about him going forward. Probably over a lot of the other popular guys from that from that 2014 class. I think Robinson's going to outproduce a lot of guys this year. Right, and he he definitely seems like he's a good complement to the other receiver they took in that second round, Marquise Lee. And like you said, they're probably going well. To it, it, it helps that Robinson's like actually a good player, where Lee is kind of not. But well, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, like you said, they're pro probably going to be throwing a lot because I, I still think they're a team on the rise, but they are still probably going to lose a decent number of games. Uh, the offensive line is still a little bit of a question mark. We'll see how you know how that develops. I I know they took a center in the third round. So we'll, so we'll see how everything comes together, but you know, definitely all the Penn state grads listening right now. I'm sure we made you guys very happy that we're talking positive about a guy like Alan Robinson. Uh, and since you are going to be an NFL fantasy writer, you know, we could call you Michael Fabiano jr. Or something like that. Uh, where would you draft Alan Robinson? Um, it de it depends on on what format you're let's, playing. Let's say it's a standard twelve team PPR format. I mean PPR, like I said, I, I expect him to catch a lot of passes. I mean his current average draft position before all this mini camp hype was in the eighth or ninth round of of PPR of twelve team PPR drafts. I would feel comfortable taking a shot on him in the like. Sixth or seventh, and you know his his ADP is going to climb from here. Oh, yeah. You know, obviously it's not going to be there now. I'm trying to pull up um, more recent data, and yeah, it, oh, just over the last two weeks, it's climbed from the eighth round to the to the seventh. So, so you know you're going to have to start paying that price for him. If he, if the hype keeps on going, it's going to get up into that sixth or fifth round range. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be comfortable in that sort of sixth round range because he's a guy that you can take as a like volume wise, you know, you want to take guys who are going to be the number one targets on their team, um, unless it's like Sammy Watkins, where the quarterback position is just such a wasteland. I, I would rather have a, a team's number one receiver where on, a, on an offense where they're not going to be very good and they're going to have to pass a lot like the Jaguars because he's going to soak up those targets. Um, he, you know, it's different when you're playing for Rex Ryan. He's going to just stubbornly run the ball and like his his receivers hardly ever get over 100 targets um but for for robinson it, it's going to be good because you're going to he's going to get those targets and that in uh, fantasy opportunity is really the name of the game and robinson i think is going to get a lot of opportunity so when you when you look at him in that sixth and seventh round range i'm totally comfortable with that and if it keeps if he keeps adding to the buzz you know that that price is going to keep coming up so you're going to have to monitor that throughout the summer and I'm just looking quick at uh, my fantasy league, the ADP there, and this is draft since June 1st. Now, for those listening on other days, obviously, since you know you're obviously not listening to this live. You know, we're recording this on June 24th. These are drafts since June 1st. Robinson is actually wide receiver 27 right now, yeah. with an ADP of about 63. So you're talking that's early sixth. And yep. you brought up a great point. That ADP is going to steadily climb as this hype train just keeps going. I mean, it's only the end of June. Once they get the pads on, it's just going to continue to climb. You know, mm. like even right now, you know, the next the next two guys after him are Nelson Aguilar and Brandon Marshall. He's ahead of Andre Johnson. He's ahead of he's ahead of Devontae Adams. So it, it's definitely interesting seeing some of the names he's ahead of. But it, it just goes to show you how deep wide receivers are when it comes to fantasy. That's why you take your running backs early. Exactly. Especially, especially exactly. in basketball leagues. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm an advocate of running backs early and wait on quarterbacks and receivers. But, boy, that hour sure went fast, gentlemen. Uh, Matt, I want to thank you so, so much for joining us on the show today. I hope you had a good time. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. It was good to talk about kind of the interesting dichotomy between the wide receiver and cornerback position, especially as it relates to, you know, the different types, uh, the different types of cornerbacks, different types of receivers. It, you know, I really respect Ian's work, and it's cool to see somebody kind of doing the parallel of, of your own work. So it was a lot of fun to talk, guys.
Absolutely. And Ian, as always, you know, another great week. Glad you're always on board. And thanks again for another great show, man. Yeah, man. Just just really excited. We've got some great guests. Matt, obviously, fantastic to talk to you. Um, you know, obviously, your work is fantastic. Can't wait to see what you're pu- putting out at, at NFL.com. Big, fancy NFL.com now. <laughs> I can't wait because I'm going to be like, yeah, that guy that you're reading, that's my buddy. So <laughs> we knew him when he was little old Matt, and now he's working with Matt Money Smith. And tell Michael Fabiano that uh, Daniel Bryan is gonna be back as world champion. <laughs> uh, much love, guys. I appreciate it. All right. And in any event, guys, thanks as always for listening. Really appreciate it. Uh, remember, we're on iTunes. You can subscribe there. You can always hit us up. On Twitter, Ian is at NFL Film Study. Matt is at Matt Harmon underscore BYB, M A T T H A R M O N underscore BYEB. And I am at Bill underscore Rossetti, R I C C E T T E. Thanks for joining us. Remember, next week, Sigmund Bloom will join us. So get your question in for the man himself. And until next time, take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.